Hello and welcome back. My name is Robert Fleming. I'm a partner in the law firm, the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm, to get all the qualifiers of Fleming and Curdy PLC. With me today is one of my other partners from the firm, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman. We're going to talk to you about elder law issues. Elizabeth, I, I thought today that we might talk about probate. Uh, everybody knows that probate is evil and awful and expensive and time consuming and uh, and absolutely has to be avoided. And you can probably tell by the way I've loaded up that question that I'm going to ask you to see if you agree that that's true. And maybe there's some circumstance where probate's not such an awful thing. Well, Robert, I have to tell you, you, you meet with these people and so do I every day uh, who come in terrified that their estate may need to go through probate. So they're desperately hoping that we'll recommend a trust and um, tell them all the ways that they can avoid probate. And, you know, so for some families, people who have children with special needs, folks who have small family businesses or complex business interests or unusual assets, you know, trust planning can make a lot of sense, particularly when we're working with folks who have blended families and really complicated plans about how they want their estates distributed. But on the whole, Robert, that's not the majority of our clients. The majority of our clients are everyday people like you and like me who have, um, I think, pretty simple estates in the sense that their assets aren't complicated. And at the end of the day, when we talk about whether or not they may just go through probate, I remind them that the process doesn't have to be painful and long and expensive. The probate process itself the length of time that probate requires depends on a few different things. These are all dictated by our state law here in Arizona. So if somebody says to me, why is probate so expensive? I say, well, one of the things is, is that if we go through a probate to get the court's blessing for somebody to collect assets in your estate and distribute them, we have to wait certain amounts of time. By law, creditors are allowed to make a claim on your estate. Now, for most people, the probate process itself doesn't take more than a year or maybe a little bit more, depending on how long it takes to sell assets. But that creditor claims period is, I think, what stresses people out and, and one of the reasons that probate gets a bad rap for taking so long. You know, I think that's that's one of the great misconceptions. I, I, I get, think we probably need to say we're talking about Arizona. In other states, the probate process might be much more cumbersome and much, much more difficult, even much more expensive. And no doubt about it, probate was more difficult, cumbersome, and expensive 50 years ago. But the rules have changed a lot in the last 50 years, and particularly in Arizona and those states that liberalized the probate rules quite a bit. So uh, one of the things that, that uh, people, in my experience, are very confused about is, uh, as you say, why does probate take so long and, and can't we speed that up by doing a trust? And I usually tell them, um, you know, if you have a probate of your estate, it's going to take a minimum of six months and maybe as long, as you say, as long as a year. And if you don't do a probate, if we have a trust only, uh, it's going to take a minimum of six months and uh, and maybe as long as a year. In other words, the time is not really controlled by whether you have a probate or not. It's controlled by how long it takes to get all of the information together to make your last tax calculation, to publish notice to creditors, which we're still going to probably do if you do have a, have a trust instead of, a, uh, instead of going through the probate process. That's a way of making sure that there aren't creditors who can can rear their heads later and 
try to recover money from the people who have received it. Robert, what about the nasty court process and the long court hearings? And what about that part of probate? Uh, you know, we are now, um, uh, this is not really directly responsive to your question, but it might indicate something about it. We are now almost a year into the pandemic that has shut down our office periodically. We're back open. Shut down the courts. They're back open, but most people don't go to the courts. In that almost a year, I have put on a tie, uh, I think once, I think just once in all that time. Uh, that is to say, we just don't go to court very much. And we do a lot of probate. You don't have to physically go to the courthouse almost ever anymore. Almost everything gets filed by paperwork. And, uh, and if we have to appear, the clients seldom have to appear. And appearance is almost always by, uh, by Zoom or go to meeting or telephone or some other kind of arrangement. So it's not a very big deal to have to go to court. Now, there is a court filing fee. Um, so that adds 250 or thereabouts dollars to, uh, to, to every proceeding if you have to go through the probate process. Do you always have to have a hearing, though? No. Uh, most probates don't even have a hearing. They just get handled administratively by somebody in the clerk's office. So we send the forms down. We have to pay the filing fee. We wait for two days, maybe three days. We get the documents back, and you're good to go. So, Robert, really, you are a historian. I know that you love history, and I know that you've also been around Pima I, County. I've lived through most of it. <laughs> I also know you've been around Pima County a while. That's our the county where our business is. Can you tell me, though, why people seem to have this fear of probate in the courts and, and really where where that confusion or stress comes from? Because it it's just doesn't happen that often that we see nasty probates. Yeah, actually, I think I can tell you. It's a guy named Norman Dacey who wrote a book called How to Avoid Probate. He was not a lawyer. He, he wasn't even an accountant. He was a, a, a mutual fund salesman. Uh, and he wrote that book in the 1950s. And he just raked the probate system over the coals. And he, he complained that lawyers were raking money off the top of every estate. And he wasn't completely wrong. Um, and the change that was worked as a result of that movement that started in the early 1950s led pretty quickly to something called the Uniform Probate Code, which Arizona adopted in 1974, uh, and that dramatically simplified the, the process. Uh, and we remain one of the states that has a, one of the simpler probate processes. Now, if you, if you have real estate in next door California, or back east in New York or, or Massachusetts or some of the states that have not been as progressive, although I think actually Massachusetts has adopted most of the Uniform Probate Code too, uh, then the answer might be a little bit different. But if you own everything you own in Arizona and you live and die in Arizona, probate is just not the monster it was before 1974. What about costs, Robert? Cost is um, uh, one of the things that that probate was criticized for is that most states, including Arizona, had minimum fee schedules for uh, for acting as the attorney for an estate. And those were blown out of the water in the mid-70s along with the uh, Uniform Probate Code. And so fees now have to be reasonable, magic word reasonable. It's hard to say what that is in a given case. But I think it's probably fair to say that the fees dropped to about one-third of what they were before 
the, uh, the, the fee schedules were abolished. So it's dramatically less expensive. Um, and and, um, and and that's something that attorneys can negotiate and, and work out as a way of, of minimizing the impact. And by the way, if you have a trust, you're still brought, your, your heirs are still probably going to have to hire an attorney at least for some purposes. And there are probably going to be some fees, some legal fees involved. You know, Robert, I, I think about this a little bit from a fees perspective because we meet with clients all the time who really want to decide whether or not to create a trust based on the cost of doing that work or the cost of avoiding a probate. And most of the time that I work with an estate that goes through probate, it's pretty similar in cost when I'm representing a successor trustee and we're handling a trust estate after somebody's died. There, In either case, there is a process that people are required to go through by law. I think that a lot of people who want privacy opt for trust because they don't want to have things filed with the court. They don't want to have um, people like, I mean, they could have unknown creditors. They have, I think, a sense of greater privacy when they may do a trust. But the reality is, is the costs and cutting corners, either way, you're going to be paying somebody to give you legal advice. And so as somebody who doesn't have kids myself, I've, I've thought a lot about whether or not I would want to have the court oversee the collection and the distribution of assets from my estate. You know what, Robert? I don't think I have a problem with that. We have terrific um, court commissioners here in Pima County, a wonderful court staff. People are respectful. And I think the fact is, in our office, we deal with just about as many probates as we do trust administrations. And so it is comes down to some personal preference, I think, for people. It does. I, I usually explain it to my clients, Elizabeth, as a, and I think you do the same thing, as a cost-benefit analysis. I, I haven't really done a study of this, but I believe that it's correct from 40 years of, of uh, sending out attorney's bills for, for acting as a personal representative or for representing personal representatives. I believe that it's correct to say that the additional cost that we will charge to create a trust is less than the additional cost that it will take to administer your estate if we don't do a trust. In other words, there will be a net savings if we do a trust in almost every case. But as you allude to, it won't be huge. And here's the key, you have to die to save that money. In other words, you're gonna pay us the money to do the living trust and your heirs are gonna pay the money if they have to go through the probate process. And so it's a cost benefit analysis. Would you like to pay us or people like us a little bit more at the head end in order to save your heirs a little bit more at the other end. Uh, and as you say, if you're, not, if you're not protecting your children's inheritance, if it's all going to go to charitable organizations or distant relatives who don't really need the money, or for that matter, children who don't really need the money, what the heck, let them pay the slight extra cost of the probate. Is a, that's a common reaction. But it's a personal preference. It's very much a personal preference. Well, Robert, thanks for clearing up some of my confusion about probate. <laughs> <laughs> hey, here's one thing I think we have to emphasize on the way out, the last point that we need to make. It's not really germane to whether you ought to have a, a, a trust or whether you're, you're okay having your estate go through probate, but it is the most common misunderstanding I see among clients. 
and that is this. If you come to see us and we do an estate plan and we write you the best will in the state of Arizona, that will not avoid probate. People again and again and again think, ah, thank goodness I got my will taken care of. Now my estate won't have to go through probate. Nope, that's not how it works. If you write a will, you have just given instructions to the probate judge. If you want to avoid probate, some combination of a trust and lifetime transfers and beneficiary designations and joint ownership, uh, it's a more cumbersome and complicated thing to do while you're alive in order to avoid the probate process upon your death. And Robert, just to remind everybody listening here, if you do have a trust, it means that you're going to have what's called a poor overwill. So keep in mind for all those folks listening to us today who may have created revocable trusts and who are saying, oh my gosh, I have a will. That's right, you do. We created a two-page document for you that's called a poor overwill and it's very boring. It says, put everything in my trust and look at my trust for those directions. And if we did everything right and you do everything right, that will is the least important document in your estate plan. Nobody will ever have to deal with it. Enough about wills, trusts, death, um, disability. Let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this up and give people a chance to, uh, to go outside. It's, it, it might be raining in Tucson today as we record this, so um, maybe we need to get outside, stare at the, the sky, and get our faces wet. I'm Robert Fleming. I've been chatting with Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, my partner at the law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC, a Tucson, Arizona elder law firm. And uh, you've been listening to Elder Law Issues. We hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks.